This is Open to Hope Radio, featuring Dr. Gloria Horsley and her daughter, Dr. Heidi Horsley, coming to you on behalf of the Open to Hope Foundation, dedicated to those who are looking for hope after loss. Now, here's Dr. Gloria. Welcome to the Open to Hope Show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my co-host, Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, good morning, Heidi. Morning, Mom. Again, uh, we're excited about our new public access uh, television in California and now in New York City. We'll be doing, uh, what do they call it, Heidi, Neighborhood Network? It's called Manhattan Neighborhood Network, and it's our local radio, I mean, our local television station here in Manhattan. Um, they have a, an audience that will reach about 3 million, and then we also um, air it in California, as my mom said, in Northern California, and we will post it on the internet and do links to it and do YouTube. So there's many, many ways to view our shows. Absolutely. So uh, we hope you'll be watching those over the coming year and watch what we're doing. And we're excited about this new project. And Heidi, I'm excited today because we have one of our Open to Hope authors on and our authors are so important to us, aren't they? You know, absolutely, Mom. And you were saying to our guests today before the show that that it it is our authors that really make our site what it is today because we do almost have a million visitors and annually and it's because we have so many authors that we have new content every single day with how people have had their own losses, what they've done and what they've done to find hope and find joy again after their losses. So really compelling stories and fabulous authors. Absolutely. So go on to our site and something new on it every day and comment on people's articles too. Our authors love to have you comment on their writing. Well, how do you, Laura B. Hayden's on our show today. And uh, Laura spent her childhood in Brooklyn. Heidi was just talking about it because Heidi was actually in Queens for the first three and a half years of her life. And uh, Laura was there until her teens, and and now she's in Enfield, Connecticut. And uh, she and her husband were raising their son and daughter when she was widowed, and we'll be talking about that. And she has written a wonderful book called Staying Alive, A Love Story, which we'll all be talking about that as being a widow and raising her kids, Connor and Emily, after her husband, Larry, died. And he died of a blood clot after bypass surgery. And she talks a little bit about that in her book. And also, she had lost her father-in-law, what, six months before that, Laura? Six months before from a heart condition, right? Wow. And and then her husband died of a heart condition. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Laura. Um, your book is very compelling, and you bring some humor to it, too. Well, I thought it was important when I was writing to have the reader get to know Larry as well as my children his and myself, his survivors, and you couldn't get to know Larry without knowing his sense of humor, so I was very encouraged that some people tell me that that does come through. He was a funny guy. <laughs> it does indeed. Well, talk a little bit to our audience out there, because I know a lot of them are bereaved. About how old were Connor and Emily when Larry died? You know, Emily and Connor were, uh, Emily was 13 and Connor was 11. We had such a, a solid family life. Really, this was unexpected. Like you said, Larry's father had died of a heart attack six months before Larry died, so there was heart disease in the family. And because of that, Larry was going to regular doctor's appointments and physicals, and at one point, and they attributed it mostly to his heredity, um, it was found that he had a number of blood clots, and they suggested heart surgery as a preventative measure. So we really, wasn't like we were in crisis because of his health. We were doing this to make him healthier. And we thought all went well, even after the operation, until two weeks later in his convalescence. And this is something that can happen. Certainly doesn't happen usually, but 
tragically blood clot traveled from the back of his leg where they had taken an artery for the bypass to his lung and he died very suddenly under that circumstance, wow. that wow. tragic circumstance. Wow, uh, yeah. And so there you were, what, 12 years ago? It'll be 14 in a, in a few 14 weeks, years actually. Ago. Yeah, and there you were raising two kids. Mm. On your own, being a widow. And I know you said in the book, people said, oh, how do you, you know, how are you able to take care of the kids? And you said, well, on the other hand, they were what kept me going, right? Exactly. You know, they were my focus. People will say, well, you know, I I have to admit that it's unfortunate that when a widow is raising her children, she is grieving also. So, I mean, it is like the, uh, um, you're not in your best condition, but at the same time, they gave me a focus to get up in the morning, to take care of them, to get them off to school, to help them understand life without dad, to keep his memory in there, keep him present in their lives. That was all important to me, and it was certainly, uh, I think, preferable to having had faced it by myself. I worked with 9-11 widows for 10 years, Laura, and Mm. they all said the exact same thing. They said, you know Mm. what, Mm -hmm. even though it's horrible for our children not to have their father, because we have children, we have to get up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I welcomed not having mm-hmm. that choice, and they helped me. I mean, you know, I when I fell apart, they were there for me. Thirteen-year-olds and eleven-year-olds can be very mature when they have to be. Yeah. And to this day, you know, fourteen years later, we just went through Thanksgiving, and you know, uh, holidays for the bereaved are very difficult for a very long time, if not forever. I was really proud of myself. Did great Thanksgiving, day after Thanksgiving. And don't you know, I was hosting on uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. I was very sad that day. Very, very sad. I had gotten through it like for two days and then it came back. And Emily said to me, my daughter, well, you know, Mom, it's got to show up somewhere when you have the holidays. It's going to it's going to creep in there. I like where you recognize that, where your daughter can say it's got to show up. And Emily just mm-hmm. got married. And I want to talk about your blog. Uh, Bride blog, but I also want to get back to something. Now you teach at a university, right? I teach at a community college. Okay, and were you teaching when Larry died? I was teaching high school when Larry mm-hmm. died. You know, it's funny because I had a teaching career before I had children, which was basically from 1971 to 85, and then I took 10 years off and I did teach at night at the community college part time. But the children were just old enough for me to be able to go back to full-time work, and I was in the same school system they were in. Our hours coincided and our vacations coincided, and I had just gone back the year before, and in a sense, I was very fortunate that I did have a job because it would have been that much harder to find a job after Larry died in order to continue to raise the family. I mean, Larry was a young man. It was He did not have a pension. He wasn't eligible for a pension yet at 49. He would have been in a few years, but I would have had to go out and start from scratch, which I can't even imagine. It was hard enough just to go back to the usual full-time job that I had for that couple of years before his death. Mm -hmm. I've been really interested in what a hip mom you are, (laughs) because when I was looking at you, (laughs) because when I I was reading your book and I I heard you say uh, that you had a text message from Connor about football. Well, yes. I mean, that was a few years ago. That was a couple of years ago when I was writing. You see, I consider my book a series of linked essays. I mean, it does equal a memoir, but there is each can be read separately and, you know, have its own message. And the one that is essentially on Connor, and when I was writing, I was discovering, as most writers do, I was discovering about Connor's, more about his grief process, trying to see 
how he had grown over, because it was about 12 years at that point, between 10 and 12 years. And yes, we text message all the time. He's, he, um, you know, he's a grown man now. He loves to go to college football games across the nation, and I'll watch the game on TV at home, and we'll just text through the game. And that's what Larry did, too, right? Exactly, exactly. That Connor really is his father. Don't you love that connection, Heidi, with that? Mm, yes, and mm-hmm. it was funny because in that essay, I do discover... I discovered some old papers of uh, uh, that Larry had written about being a fan. You know, this was pre-blogging days. Would have been blogs if he was alive today. Right. And at the time, Connor was doing a sports blog, and it just made uh, the connection between Larry and Connor so real for me. Uh, and it allowed me to see that even with Larry physically not present, he could so be there for his That's son. Wonderful. And I love the fact that you were reading Connor's blog. I was also, Heidi, you want to make a comment on that before I move on to something else? I'm with you, Mom. And, and, you know, you can find out so much about people when you do read their blogs and you go on their Facebook pages because sometimes, you know, kids won't tell you things. And then you go on and, mm-hmm. but they'll but they'll write them. They might not say it, but they'll express it in right. different ways yeah. through social media nowadays. So I love it. Well, my kids were both in college when Facebook came out, and I was so mm-hmm. relieved that they allowed me to friend them. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a neat thing for a parent, yeah. It is. For those who are out there, you know what? If your kids, they will friend you or not. So it's not intrusive. I mean, if you're reading their blog, it's because they're letting you. So anyway. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) And you know, who knows? It may even be the filter they need in the back of their head to realize, you know, mom is reading this case. (laughs) Right. It may work on their end, too. Absolutely. Uh, I, I was telling Heidi, one of the things that I thought was really interesting in your book was Emily's response to the psychiatrist about going to a psychiatrist. Can you comment on that? Because we do, after our kids die, I mean, or our spouse dies or whatever, Oftentimes, we are, particularly if you're a professional like I was, you're wanting everybody to go to a psychiatrist or a psychologist. And can you kind of summarize Mm. what Emily said about it? Because I think it's very interesting. And and how old she was? It was a complicated process because she was 13, uh, going on 14 by the time we, you know, a number of months after Larry died. I, I didn't want to leave any stones unturned. And I asked them if they would... Go to, uh, go to speak to, uh, a professional. And the deal was that we would all go in together and not separately. And I was certainly comfortable with that. But, um, I, you know, I didn't know it at the time because, um, but I'm, you know, I did know that they, they were very uncomfortable with it. And in, uh, you know, they, they did what they had to do for mom. And when we left, to be honest with you, the psychologist said to us, you know, I can see you in six days, six weeks, six months, six years, or never. You decide, you know, what you need. And she did say that she felt through our discussion that we had covered a lot of uh, very important uh, reflection on what had happened. Um, and as it turned out, we did not go back. Well, Lo and behold, when she's a senior in high school, she writes an essay for college entrance, and it's all about this visit to the psychologist and how, you know, uh, how uncomfortable she was, basically, I would say, with almost the power structure. You know, a a child wouldn't call it that. But, uh, you know, how could this woman know what I felt? Do you know what I mean? Which is why, um, why, Heidi... It sounds as if she is very... um, 
It sounds as if on the surface she's very critical of the process, and yet she goes on to say, uh, she almost apologizes uh, for having felt that way at that time. But then, you know, Emily, um, she did have bigger problems in college where then she did see uh, um, uh, people she was able to be comfortable with on campus, professionals, and we kind of had to revisit um, the grieving experience then. Um, and so that was even after she wrote this essay. So I'm writing my essay after all the experience. And in the big picture, Emily chose to go into uh, a very related field. Um, she is a child life specialist at um, oh, I love that. the Children's Hospital in Hart, Connecticut. And, um, uh, you know, she, she goes on to say, you know, it's funny, I chose this field that I probably would not have if I hadn't gone through that experience with the psychologist to begin with. But she feels like because she was negative, she can kind of anticipate that in her, the children that she works with. Right. Heidi, does that sound familiar? Oh, is that familiar? That's you mean you mean as far as as far as my experience going to a therapist? Yes. I was thinking about you're going into the field and, and maybe the therapy part. Also, how we carry it through our lives, which is fine. A 13-year-old or a 14-year-old may not be ready. That, that's what mm-hmm. I'm thinking. I mean, it was interesting how she revisited her grief in college, and, and like my mom said, and then she went into a field which I think was really informed by the fact that she had lost her father, and now she's helping other kids deal with adversity exactly. and difficult things in a hospital mm-hmm. setting of all places. No coincidences. I mean, yes, it's absolutely yeah. why I'm in this field today is because I had a brother that died. Had he not died, right. I would have been yeah. an expert in, in traumatic loss. So, yeah. And you can anticipate the skepticism on the, on the maybe the patient's part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let us talk about one of the things that I want to bring out. Heidi, how do you feel about your profession? How do I feel about it? Yeah. I'm not sure what you're asking. I mean, I absolutely, uh, I absolutely love what I do. I think the thing that I bring to the profession that some others don't is I've been there, I understand what it's like to have a loss, and so I tend not to pathologize my clients because I understand what grief looks like. And what I wanted to say about that, Laura, is that Heidi loves yeah, it. I can because I, can I don't tell. want our audience to think that these people, that we're going off into this field because we haven't resolved oh, our grief that. and we're so sad mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing. I knew what you'd say. That's why I didn't, oh, I didn't co- you know, coach mm-hmm. you on it because I knew you were going to say it because I know you love your profession. I absolutely so, love what I do. I, I always tell my, my students, I teach at Columbia, and I always tell my students I've, I've never worked a day in my life. Mm, because I don't look at I don't look at this as a job, I look right. at it as a, as a calling, and I I really really love what I do, and I love watching people find hope again, like you, Laura, after serious adversity and losses in their lives. It's such an amazing thing to watch someone go from a place of deep pain and sorrow to a place mm. of joy and hope. Well, you know, that's what I think is unique about the book is that it mm-hmm. it covers a ten to twelve year span of grief mm-hmm. as opposed to uh you know and I I mean the work is classic and it is uh undeniably wonderfully useful uh a year of magical thinking by Joan Didion but it's a year of magical mm-hmm. thinking you know what I mean she talks about right. the process for a year and Joyce Carol Oates I believe just came out with a book in the last year or two uh a widow's life and it it covers 9 months after mm-hmm. a widow story and it covers 9 months after the death of her husband. And uh, I think in, in thinking about what I wanted to um, 
um, kind of give back, it was that experience that people don't understand, the long-term grief, that it stays with you past the funeral and past the first year anniversary, et cetera, et cetera. And that it's very, um, you can live a very high-quality, happy life, but still have that there. Hey, uh, talk to us a little bit about your bride blog real quick and uh, tell us where we can get your book, uh, Laura B. Hayden, Staying Alive on a Love Story. Well, the blog is fun to do. You know, when Emily was planning her wedding, um, I was, I guess I was finished with the book, but I mean, I do a lot of writing as I have for your site on uh, on grief, and I, I said, oh my gosh, I can blog about this happy event, and it's going to be so much fun, and, and I followed her uh, her wedding over about a year and a half with stories that I didn't even know I had in me, because it brought back memories. It was much like the memoir in that respect. Great. And now, how can people find that, your blog? The blog, uh, if you can remember the word Mommy of the Bride instead of Mother of the Bride, I'm sure that Google would bring you right to it. It was It's Mommy of the Bride at blogspot.com. It can, you can also uh, find it on my, uh, my writer's website, which is laurabhayden.com, L-A-U-R-A-B. H-A-Y-D-E-N dot com, and you'll have a link to it there. And you can also find some of her writings on our site, opentohope.com, because Laura is one of our writings. Right. I have uh, some, some work that I, one essay in particular was very important to me in as much as it was about uh, learning as a widow, being told that widows, young widows should be very careful with their health and go for yearly physicals. And as it turned out, four years after my husband died, I was diagnosed with uh, kidney cancer. And it was totally symptomless. If I hadn't put myself on a regime of going to yearly physicals, it would not have been found at the early stage that it was. You know, I did lose a kidney. It was quite serious, but it would have been much more serious It had I waited for symptoms to occur. Oh, I love that. So the message from Laura is out there for you folks mm. who've had a loss. We are vulnerable, and you do need to take care of your health. There's no no question about mm. it. Well, Laura, thank you so much for being on the show today. And again, thank you for writing for Open to Hope. Oh, I, I look forward to writing more for your site. And I think your site, I wish it was around as accessible as it is when I needed it more. But I <laughs> love being part of the process, the healing process for others. Oh, thank you, and thanks so thank much. Thank you, Laura. Thank you both. Gloria and Heidi. It was a pleasure to talk to you. Well, Heidi, uh, gosh, Laura's an inspiration, isn't she? she? She absolutely is, Mom. And and the other piece that she really shows us is that her children have come out very intact and that they've gone on to do amazing things with their life despite the fact that they lost their father at an early age. And that's also a credit to Laura. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, and please tune in again next week for another Open to Hope show. You've been listening to Open to Hope Radio, hosted by Drs. Gloria and Heidi Horsley. Like today's edition, all of our past programs are available on demand at opentohope.com, along with helpful articles, videos, resources, and links to help get you through the toughest time of your life. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter and sign up for our monthly newsletter. Again, that's opentohope.com. Check it out today. Then be sure to stop by next Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time when we'll be posting another edition of Open to Hope Radio. Remember, others have been where you are. They made it through, and you can too, as long as you're open to hope.